on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. First up on the show, we'll be speaking with Ali, who is um, an asylum seeker being detained in Perth. He has had a terribly tough life over the last seven years, I'd say. Ali has been transferred to quite a few detention centres. He's been demonised and persecuted by guards for spreading the word about atrocious conditions in detention. And we're going to be speaking with him now about what's been happening. At the moment, he's detained um, in Perth, sorry, in Western Australia, and we'll speak to him about that shortly. After that, hopefully we'll be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action and we'll be talking to him about an inquest that happened about the death, the Aboriginal death in custody of David Dungai Jr., who died in Sydney's Long Bay Prison Hospital after being violently manoeuvred by corrective service officers held face down and sedated because he refused to stop eating a packet of biscuits. If we are not able to speak with Brett, we will give you an update of the inquest findings. But in the meantime... I'm going to line up um, a song, or sorry, an announcement, and we will cross over to Ali shortly. Is this what we... Right wing press. 
with the doing time show and I ended up playing a song called permanent revolution now actually sorry it's by a band by permanent revolution I should say we have now Ali on the line and he is an asylum seeker who is detained in Western Australia at the moment and as I said in my intro he has had a terrible life over the last couple of years and has been trying to help others as well hello Ali welcome to the program Hi, Marisa. How are you? How are you doing? Good? Yeah, not bad, Ali. It's lovely to have you on the show. Now, you're in hospital, aren't you, at this current time? Yes. Uh, yeah, at the current time now, I'm in the hospital. I've been four days and uh, I just got confirmation I'm I'm not going to go back to the detention probably another two, three days, that's at least. Are you able to tell listeners why you ended up in hospital, Ali? Is that something you want to talk uh, about? Yeah, there's... There's uh, two managers in the centre running their detention, uh, totally perfect. And there's another two managers running the detention with incidents and disaster. Uh, Two managers in in, uh, consistently, like uh, two of them are good and two of them are bad. Manager Huey and Rosa running running the centre as running a Bunnings warehouse or, or a warehouse or something, and the other two managers running it smooth with no incident. Okay. And then I was I was laying down about one o'clock night time. I want to sleep, and they came up and they said, "Oh, the rules is in this room. If you sleep, you gotta leave the lights open all night." I said, "But I can't sleep. If I leave the lights open, I can't fall asleep." He said, that's the rules. I said, but I've never been this one. Rules, I've been here already for three weeks, two and a half weeks, never been And this where's rule. this, Ali? Where, where, what's Perth, this detention centre? Perth CIDC, Perth... Uh, Perth Detention Centre. Immigration Detention Centre, yeah, in Perth City. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm not happy to be there. Like, I didn't want to go there. I said, I said I'm happy to be in Perth. Send me to Yonge Hill, but they're not sending me to Yonge Hill because... Uh, there I can all because of the social media behavior and the people there are waiting for you and they're looking at me, the boys there looking at me as a positive outcome to them if I go there because I will help them and get things changed. So, so they, they see you that. They see you as a leader, they see you as someone who is exposing what's happening inside the detention centres so they're targeting yes, you and that- giving you a hard time, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So, Ali, then, tell us, tell us what happened. What what led to the hospital stay there? What what happened? Yeah, so they 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 trying to leave the lights open in my room. I said, "Come on, man, stop giving me hard time and just let me go to sleep." And he didn't he didn't let me go to sleep. And I'm, I'm I got really really like kind of upset and and really down because I just need to sleep. I'm tired. And then I had to uh, open the remote control and swallow the battery of the remote control. 
And then now the battery is stuck in my stomach being four days. They've done already operation and they filed to take it out. They filed, uh, they filed to take it out. They couldn't find, find it. Uh, in the, uh, so when they took the x-ray, after one hour, when they, they went and do the operation, they didn't find it in the same place. So they they done the operation based on one hour ago, the battery where it is, and it got moved to another place, which is they they can't get to it. It's a sensitive place in the stomach. They can't get to it unless they damage me. So they couldn't do the operation, and they took me back. And now the battery being stuck in my stomach, and I'm stuck in the hospital with no food, only fluids. So you swallow the battery yes. because you were very, very upset about the conditions in the in the detention yeah, centre. They, they tried to give me hard time. They tried to give me hard time by them moving me from Adelaide to Perth. I don't mind it if they did move me to Younger Hill, but I mind it when they move me to BIDC because BIDC is a uh, is, is a really really bad centre. Like uh, for another another instance uh, in the centre, eight people in a room, every a small bed. Too much overcrowding. People. Yeah. Overcrowding, and I was even talking to some health uh, environment issues and safety. They said uh, eight people in one room. That's a fire hazard as well, and, and trip hazard because bags and shoes and everything all over the floor. Ali, it's 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 you're from Iraq, isn't it? Is yeah. that right? So you're from Iraq, yeah. and you you were in Australia, and you had a visa. And so you went yeah. to prison at first, didn't you? You served your time. Yeah. It was just for a very, very small parking violation, wasn't it? Yes. And so then they they put you the you were put in detention instead of letting you yeah. serve your time. Why didn't they let, just let you go back into the community? What it I, sounds to I me keep, is I keep that the case. that's right. And it sounds to uh, me as though you've been through such horrendous circumstances. Your mother has cancer. She's very ill. And you've been shoved from pillar to post. You know, then we had that court case in Melbourne, didn't we, where the the guards were putting an intervention order for some nonsense about you posting videos or something, trying to stop you from doing, from from, uh, your human Uh, rights. So, of course, uh, you're going to swallow a battery. I mean, anyone would swallow a battery under their circumstances, wouldn't they? They just putting me under so much pressure. It's like my mental health going down. Now the psychiatrist uh, came to see me just before, and here he said, uh, "For your health and safety and all that, I'm not releasing you back today. I'm going to keep you for a bit time with us in the hospital in here." Ali, that's a you. You don't need to go back there, really. I'm I'm wondering if if there's so, a way. So even the hospital feeling sorry for us more than more than eight border force and the, the Australian Minister and the Prime Minister. Absolutely. And so there's been quite a lot of mental health issues and problems in refu- in the camps and the the detention centres, haven't they, Ali? Yes, there's been a lot of issues. It's been like I, I saw, uh, for instance, I saw in where I am now in BRDC, I saw a wife and husband being separated. Uh, the husband living in a separate room and the wife living in a separate room and they're not allowed to see each other only two times a week for one hour and they're not allowed to kiss each other. Yeah, it's it's 
It's very sad, isn't it, that these places are being yeah. a, a places of horror, aren't they? Yeah, I I tried to go because the guys waiting for me in Yonge Hill to go there with them and help them to do some changes in Yonge Hill, but they're not letting me go to Yonge Hill. And then keeping me in that place, I'm, I, I suffer from mental health. I've been five years in detention now, so I always am in a room by myself. All of a sudden now with eight people, eight people in a room, uh, it's, it's just not really good to be sharing room with even one person. I don't like it, and I don't want to be there. And I told them, I said, uh, send me back to Adelaide, where, wherever I came from. I was there happy, and yeah. it's a good detention center. Why you, why you move me from Adelaide to PIDC, where I didn't ask for PIDC. I asked for Younger Hill. Why you? And then when I fly from there, they told me I'm going to Younger Hill, and then a quick change over in the airport. Soon I arrive in Perth, PIDC people pick me up and put me in Perth detention center, not Younger Hill. Right. Yeah, so I mean... They me from the start, and then uh, now, now it's just backfiring on my mental health and my issues and everything. There's so much issues and so much problems they need to fix before it'll get worse, because this is just, yeah, it's getting too much. Look, it is getting too much, and I'm just wondering... You know, without going too much into it, because I know it's still being still pending, isn't it? But is there any progress with with your case and being able to get your visa, your uh, visa back? I got, I got uh, about my visa. I got a court case in Melbourne on the fifth and the fourth of February. Right. And we're going to go to the judge and say, "Hello, judge. Two years ago, I won my case. Can you find out from the minister why I haven't been released yet?" I'm just waiting, bending on one signature of the minister, and I'll be free then. So we're trying, me and my lawyer, to put the pressure on the minister and the, of the Home Affair to actually sign my paperwork and release me, sign my visa and release me, which is this one is going to go through to court on the 5th of February and the 4th of February. And where is that so going to be in Melbourne? Yeah, in Melbourne. Whereabouts? What, uh, what Melbourne court? Federal Court, Federal Court, Melbourne. Well, we'll make sure that we we advertise that so that people can come and support you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, it will be all my friends and my uh, refugee advocate people and the grandmother for refugees and justice for refugees. All of them will be with me. Same last time when you were with me in court. They will be all with me coming to court. Indeed, and in fact, I believe that court case was in September, wasn't it, Ali? Yeah, the and last court, yeah, you went with me. Uh, I did, yes, um, yeah. I did go to that case, court case, and uh, you kind of won it. But yeah. But the thing is, though, Ali, it's you have to get out of there. You simply have to get out of detention now. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I'm trying to work on it with my lawyers and try to organise everything and hopefully, finger crossed, we get we get some justice out of, of this. But all, all I am saying is uh, there is no there is no difference between centre and centre, but why Perth like that? Why always Perth like this? Always suicidals, harm, self-harms people, depressing... Uh, so much, uh, so much bad rules like uh, handcuffing people all the time, 
uh, so violent and uh, yes, bad attitude, bad condition. The center is absolutely disaster. Filthy, dirty. Cleaners not doing their right job. Uh, Border force not doing the right job. Uh, all, all of them. No, no one doing the right job inside first detention centers. Either Yonge Hill or PRDC. Both the same, running exactly the same rules. How are you getting on to the hospital? Are you being treated okay? In the hospital, yeah, it's been okay. Royal Perth Hospital is actually really good. It's in a city, Perth city, and it's been really okay. It's been, yeah, it's been very, so far, it's, it's really good with me. And they keep me here because they saw me. I've been depressing and yeah. Uh, yeah. and that. So they just keeping me here just to give me time out of the detention because detention is, yeah, it's just really bad. It's, we got couple of managers, I don't know what they're thinking about. Is, uh, it, yeah, it's just really bad. Uh, manager Hugo and manager Rosé. Rosé yeah. Rosa and, and Hugo. And you know the top circle, circle manager, the top one center manager is Andre yeah. Roger. Andre Roger, he's actually, until now, I've seen him only for two minutes. It's very sad, only Ali. Two minutes, two minutes I've seen him. And he knows I've got so much issues. Why are you not coming to see your detainees? If you're running a centre without seeing the detainees, you're not a good manager because, you know, communicate with the detainees. If you don't communicate with the, your detainees, the ones you have in your centre, you're not a manager. What well, an office manager, you're, you're just in the office sitting down watching YouTube and getting paid for. It's not it's, good. There Absolutely. needs to be a system where you can help the detainees, and you have heard about the Medivac bill that was repealed, yes, haven't you? What do you think of that, Ali? It was really sad. It was oh. really sad. These people, most of them, I live with them in Adelaide, and, uh, and I see them when they were even in the Brisbane and Melbourne, and uh, most of them suffering really badly from mental health and suffering really badly. They don't deserve to be like that. They've been already seven and eight years and six years in detention. They had enough. They've and indeed, they've had enough. They can't even Medicare treat it treated them. It's, it's really sad to see people doing, like, just to see a human being doing to another human being like that. It's really sad. It's heartbreaking, actually, to to see things like that happening from Australian people or Australian government to this kind of people. But what harm they done to you, these people, to do to them like that? You can't even... The basic thing to offer them, the Medicare, you can't even offer them that. And even with the Medivac bill, that was a piece of legislation that enabled, you know, Manus Island and Nauru to have the, the people from there to be able to go into Australia to have hospital care. And now that can't happen anymore because the Morrison government took it away. Yes, I know. And I, I did read a, a lot about actually the Medivac and that. And, uh, about the bad psychiatrists who were interviewing all all these kind of people inside the prison, Julian Spencer, and she's really bad psychiatrist. She put all their reports. She said they are per- perfectly fine, and she sent her report to Parliament, and she said they are all of them perfectly fine. They they can go back to Menas Island and Nauru. It really is a dreadful thing. It's, it's it's a systematic breakdown, isn't it? Of the you know of repealing it, so that so that people can't get the all, care they need. All the 
detention centres is like a big politics, and we are not names, we are just a number. Every single one of the detainees inside detention is a number. To them, we only money. Is nothing is they they look at us as a money investment investment to detention centers and to this government. It's nothing to do with them saving Australian people or saving Australian community. No, 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 no. that's right. And in fact, yeah. in fact, really, all this money that's going into offshore processing and even onshore processing put the money into the community, put the money into housing and into helping asylum seekers adjust to community. Ali, how's, how's it going over this? Are you, are you on a drip now? Are you? Are you being uh, yeah, fed well, with fluids? Yeah, just a fluid, yeah, just a drink. Not not allowed to eat any, any type of food. Yeah. What are you going to uh, do? Like, were they going to do another operation to get the battery I, out? I think so. I think, I think they decide later on today they'll come up and see me later on because here we only one one o'clock now and here in, in Perth. So yeah. still early. They'll come up by 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock maybe. Okay. Talk to me and decide what to do. Ali, uh, keep me informed, won't you? And Peter also says hello to you. He wasn't able uh, to come to the show yeah, today. Yeah, 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 I did talk to him today in the morning. Good. Yeah, I miss Peter, actually. He's good, actually. Yeah, yeah. In fact, the same as you. Two of you is really nice and good people to help other people as well. I hope so, I hope so. The, uh, the trees to Australian people on the street. Absolutely, Ali. Okay, Ali, well, keep in touch with us. Thank Let you. us know what's going on. We'll, um, Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll look at the court case next year and see about coming down there to support you and spread Thank the you. word. Thanks a Thank lot. Thank you very much. Take Thank care. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Ali, who is an Iraqi asylum seeker, Detained and he attempted suicide. He um, he swallowed the battery, a battery, and is now in hospital. And the doctors wish to keep him in hospital to um, work out what to do with this battery and to assist him to with his mental health problems. We're going to be speaking with Ali again. Um, this is our last show today, but we'll speak with him next year in late January. And um, and cover the court case as well that he's going to be in in February. Six years I've been in Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio, and um, you don't really get to do this much brings us all together time you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for What's giving us the opportunity to morning. speak on air the bigger the reason the bigger the calling Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes... It keeps going, you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. 
as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 And you're back with the Doing Time Show. We're going to be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action shortly about um, David Dungai, the Aboriginal death in custody of David Dungai. And Brett is going to give us an update of what happened at the recent inquest. And just a quickly quote from the report on the coroner's decision that was on the the Justice Action website, just quickly. On December the 29th, 2015, David Dungai JR died in Sydney's Long Bay Prison Hospital after being violently manoeuvred by corrective service officers held face down and sedated because he refused to stop eating a rice cracker. And we're going to be speaking with Brett pretty soon. We interviewed Litona, David's mother, earlier on in the year. Um, and he's they've really been mucked around, this family, in terms of um, inquest after inquest and just a lot of dragging the feet of the government. Hello, Brett. W- welcome to the program. Yes, I'm Marissa. The last program of the year, mate. How La- <laughs> Last program of the year, Brett. Last, no, and, and I don't in... know how we're going to handle this. I'm sure all the people inside the prisons are going to go. Hang on, hang on. We want our break too, and we're not going to have we're not going to have our program to to carry us over the the um, the, the season. Oh, oh well, they'll have music though at that time, so that'll be good. They can listen to a music specials and and get that no, happening. Good, yeah. But no, um. That's, uh, that's, that's excellent. And, but thank you. That's lovely that you like our show so much, Brett. Yeah, for sure. No, no, you guys are really important and never doubt for a moment how much people appreciate the chance, chance first of all, to um, to express what what we're doing for the community, for the, our community inside the prisons, and I'm sure that allowing the people in prisons to actually hear, um, uh, hear your support, getting information they wouldn't otherwise get, and, um, and linking across to activists in, the, in their field, giving support to them. That's a wonderful thing. Wonderful job you're doing. Thanks so much, Fred. It's, it's, yeah, and we've had a really tough year, actually. There have been a lot of deaths in custody, a lot of inquests, as you know. Auntie Tanya Day, um, you know, she had her, her inquest um, here this year in 2019, and her findings will be handed down in March next year. And then, and then of course, we've got... David Dungai as well. Can you tell us what what happened with David Dungai and and give us a little bit of an update of what happened at the inquest? Well, look, I, I suppose the most important thing is that if it, it really threw up some pretty um, stark issues for the average person in the public. The David Dungay case was particularly remarkable because the guy was not causing anyone any difficulty. All he wanted was to eat his wife's crackers, which he'd paid for himself. And the the intervention by the prison officers was just a was a, was a muscle um, flexing exercise to try and tell this guy who is an Aboriginal boy who had only 18 years old was put in, in jail. He only had weeks to leave to to finish his sentence before they were, he was to be relieved released. And um, and so they tried to still continue to try to stand over him. So he shouted them and said, "No, take! I want my my rice crackers." And he, he kept them, hang hung on to them. So they decided that, that that no matter what happens, they'll take the biscuits away, whether or not he had a right to have them. 
And so they brought a six-member IA team, the immediate action team, in and, and hit him with a, with a, a, a shield right in the face, bang, drove him back, and then, and then, then um, turned him over, handcuffed him, and, and, uh, and smothered him. And that, in that process, he died. But they didn't even try to properly resuscitate him. The, the amount of support coming from Justice Health was actually just outrageous. They never previously had, had, a, had a, a real attempt at resuscitating someone. They'd been untrained. No one cared. And the fact that no one cared became obvious because when, when they discovered that uh, the, the technique they had used to hold him down was one that had been proven to have killed people in the past, they didn't even bother to even tell other people about the lessons they'd learned. So for 18 months, other people were being treated in the same way and the other people's lives were being, being put at risk. So they never cared. Until eventually they said, well, just a moment, this is going to be uncovered by the inquest. And at that stage, they had to try to cover their traces. So the inquest was held at the New, New South Wales State Coroner's Court? That's right. Now, look, it went for, the, the remarkable, remarkable thing was it went for three weeks. Really? Three weeks full time. Had, had national attention. It was a, a case where and you could actually see what happened. So they had a camera when, they, when the immediate action team came in and hit him. They had a camera there beside them because they were required to have it. And so you could see what happened. They could, you could actually hear him saying, I, I can't breathe. And they said, Carlos, you can talk so you can breathe. He said 12 times. They came 12 times. They had him there for over eight minutes. They had him scrunched over. They had oh. him knees in his back. They, had them. They, they suffocated him. There's no question. They actually caused the heart attack after that from which he died. And so that was, everyone could see that. Any question was, who's going to be held responsible for this? Because apparently, according to the lawyers involved in the case, no one in New South Wales history has ever been charged, like a prison officer charged, with killing a, killing a prisoner. Never. Never. And so this is a, a situation which was to be a, a, a you know, breaking the, um, the, the drought. And I've been taking people, holding people responsible for what they're doing, for the, for the you know, prison officers held responsible for killing, killing an Aboriginal boy. And this situation, everyone had expected it to happen. They had people um, from all the um, television stations there waiting. And then what happened? The coroner squibbed it again, squibbed it again, and didn't recommend the charges, and announced that to the DPP to, to do charges. And then, but at the end of it, he made some recommendations that are useful. So we immediately folded in behind the recommendations. So Tell us about the recommendations. What, what were the recommendations that emerged from the inquest? Well, look, look, the recommendations, there were a number. There were about 10 of them. But there were two that we thought that were very, very important. One was the entitlement for a, an Aboriginal delegate, and so prisoner delegate, one of the prisoners them, themselves, to be there, trained, and to be beside him. So instead of David Gungo being by himself, isolated, like having a six-member team um, coming in on him, uh, and uh, having 60 seconds right to to acknowledge that they were in charge, they were bigger than he was, and they were going to smash him anyway. So 60 seconds they had, they gave him um, for him to put his hands through the through the hole of the of the, the door and have himself handcuffed. Um, and, and failing to do that, they did what they were going to do, which was running in with the, with the, behind the shield and smacking him in the face and driving him into the bed and holding him down and then killing him. So, so that's, that was the first thing, to have a, an, an Aboriginal delegate right, um, selected from other prisoners, trained for the purpose, um, in order that that person should be a bridge between the authorities and the prisoner himself or herself. 
That was the first thing. The second thing was that there should be de-escalation techniques involved. So they shouldn't think, oh, well, we'll, you've got 60 seconds to, to put your arms through the hole and be handcuffed. You've got to, you, there's no rush in doing it. There's no, we're going to overpower this man no matter what. Even though we have the shields and the force, you are required to be involved in de-escalation. So that was a very important um, uh, other recommendation. So, the, so even though they have the power to overcome someone, they have to talk with the person, first of all, and they have to also use social support in order for that to happen. So we went straight away back into the commissioner and, like, within two days, went back to the commissioner and said, Mr Commissioner, maybe you're unaware of this, but there were two recommendations by the, in the David Bungay inquest, um, and they were, and we said, one was the, the um, uh, recommendation six, and the other recommendation was recommendation um, 113. And the first one, recommendation six, we said, we want to now have a discussion with you. The family has asked us uh, to negotiate with you to ensure that the Aboriginal delegate um, uh, uh, structure is used. And we want to have a discussion with prisoners inside the Goulburn Jail, where they have a, a very strong um, development, inmate development committee, to talk with them about how prisoners should be trained, right, first thing. And then the second thing is about de-escalation techniques. We want to talk with you about what that would mean and how, and what would it mean on the ground and how the delegate, the Aboriginal delegate, would work on de-escalation techniques with your staff. We want a meeting urgently. Right? So you're talking that. about the New South Wales Corrective Services Commissioner, Peter. Peter Severin? That's right, Peter Severin, that's right. Okay. Because, of course, you know, what's happening in New South Wales is something that runs out all over states and territories, the same as what happens in Victoria, some of the horrible things in Victoria. Um, you know, if we can stop them, if people in Victoria can, can actually stop that from happening, that has an effect on all the other states and territories too. So really it's intended that the, that the entitlement of a, of a prisoner delegate right, to, to be there, right, somebody who's selected by the prisoners themselves to be trained, and to be involved in that de-escalation. So when there's a when there's just about to have, have uh, coming to running in on someone, they can't do it. They first of all have to have the prisoner delegates, Aboriginal delegates, prisoner delegates, um, in there negotiating and talking. And that means that they have to consider carefully what they're doing before they before they advance on a prisoner. Very so, important issue. Very so the coroner issue. the coroner actually recommended this, right? The state That's coroner. That's right. It was recommendation number six. Recommendation number six. Uh, and That's if people right. if people wanted to read those those findings, where can they where could they go on the website on the web? They can go to they can go to the Justice Action website. We made a point of ensuring those things are up there. So the on the, on the Justice Action website, it has the David Dungay inquest, and some it's on our front page. I think it's the might be the third um, uh, featured item on our front page. David Dungay, and then you can actually come in on the findings and recommendations from the from the uh, Dungay coroner's uh, 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 hearing. And so, and very significant, very significant indeed. But then straight away we had a rather disappointing response from the commissioner. He came back to us within a week and a half and he said to us, that um, he said, he said, thank you. Oh, first of all, he said, firstly, I'd like to, uh, to again offer my condolences to Mr Dungay's family. So at least he had the decency to accept that, uh, you know, that we were talking um, uh, on behalf of the, of the Dungay family. And then he said in the second to last paragraph, thank you for your offer to work with Corrective Services New South Wales to implement these recommendations. Corrective Services New South Wales will contact you if that is necessary. Oh. <laughs> so um, that's all right. That's all right. They, they, they're at the stage of um, having to be um, dragged into carrying the responsibilities. So we've just come in right behind that. 
we've pointed out to them exactly why they have no choice but to have outsiders in um, to ensure that corrective services and also justice health are held responsible for their behaviour and required to do the things that the coroner said that they should do. Indeed, one of the things that really stands out for me on the report that Justice Action made about the recent inquest, which I believe was in July, is that right? Uh, it was, but the, the actual findings themselves, I think, were down on, I think, 22nd of November. Oh, the findings were, were handed down in November. Okay. Because, I mean, it's been, right. it's been four years. I mean, David Dungai died in custody in 2015. And they've had, That's there's right. been several, several um, coronial inquests, hasn't there? And, I mean, it's been, it's 2019 now. How long does it take, you know? But anyway, I'll just quote this. So, nonetheless, and this is according to the report, the submissions made by David's family that the officers involved in David's death should be charged were, were refused. Can you comment on this? Well, look, I, I think that was really a uh, like really significant decision to not charge those, yeah. those prison officers. I, I mean, to not hold them responsible was just outrageous. Um, but but what, let me just say this. There are two things that are going to happen um, after that. Yeah. One is there's actually currently a, an action for, to sue the prison officers for wrongful death. Now, in a similar situation, in the O.J. Simpson case in the U.S., O.J. Simpson was acquitted of murder of his wife, but the family then sued, and and O.J. Simpson then, on the balance of probabilities, which we don't have to prove as a criminal case, balance of probabilities, was sued and lost $33 million. And so they were held responsible, or he was held responsible for the death of the wife of O.J. Simpson. Now, this is a similar situation wrongful death, and that's, that act of, of suing in a civil court is happening now. So that's the first thing that's happening. And then the second thing is that there's an, uh, is an action to bring it before the uh, Director of Public Prosecutions for him, for him to, uh, to uh, charge the prison officers, even if the coroner has not recommended it. And then the third thing is there's also a case before the, it's called WorkSafe. So WorkSafe has got this, uh, an independent obligation for work cover prosecutions, and there's a barrister now looking at that and whether the prison officers can be charged for having breached, breached the safety of David Bungay and the way they had behaved towards him. And whether that was, a, that was a breach of the work cover, um, work cover uh, uh, obligations here in New South Wales. And I'm sure every other state and territory has the same obligations for anyone who's, who's working in the public service. Absolutely. And, and look, it, it is terribly important. It sounds to me as like there was a a breach of occupational health and safety. Absolutely. No, that's at least that's one way of coming in. But I think the, the thing that will hurt the most of all will be suing the prison officers and collective services and justice health after the death of death that they've done gay. And I think you'll find there'll be millions of dollars um, uh, uh, changing hands on the back of that. And it may well be that um, the suing of the particular prison officers, particularly there's a prison officer, F, F who's the, who is in charge, um, uh, he... He will definitely be set to stage when it comes to suing um, for wrongful death. So the reason for the refusal to charge, according to the coroner, comes from the fact that the officer's evidence was given willingly in exchange for protection from self-incrimination. I mean, well, how, how, how does how's that how does that work, Brett? <laughs> well, I, look I mean, at seriously. Well, you see, look, there's, there's the uh, a basic principle, which is that the people who are, are um, who are liable to be charged with offence cannot be required to give evidence. That means the prosecution oh. has to improve the case. 
Now, because in this situation, all the prison officers were there together. There was nobody there independently at all, except for David Gungay himself, and he was dead. So it meant all you had was the prison officers, six prison officers, and Justice Health there. And so it meant that there was nobody objective who could give evidence to say the prison officers did this or did that. It was, it was totally in the hands of the authorities. And but the family can still sue, though. Camera. The family can still so, sue. Ah, and so, so really, um, uh, that's the exact situation where um, it's very difficult to have a, um, a, a prosecution against uh, the authorities of, or state, in this case, state agents, which are the prison officers, for killing someone, because there are no voluntary witnesses. The only witnesses are there, are all themselves complicit in the same action. You see? So really, um, to prove a case against them, using independent evidence is almost almost impossible. So, how's it so gonna, it's, how are they going to sue then? Well, so what they did, they actually said, OK, we are not able to prosecute these people because there's no independent evidence that we could use to, to establish a case. So what they're going to do is we're going to, uh, before the coroner's court, before the inquest, we're going to give them a certificate of immunity, which will then require them to explain why they were doing what, what they did and how that uh, caused the death of David Dungay. Now, they saw that then as an, as an exercise in, in gathering evidence to ensure it wouldn't happen again in the future. But it also meant that it, it, it gave protection to the prison officers who gave evidence. <laughs> so now we, we had two things. One, we were, at least we could highlight how callous they had been and how much they how little they cared. But it also meant that we couldn't use the evidence that they'd given as part of a prosecution against them. But I, I'm sure it can be used when it comes to the civil case. So that will be something different again. That's a different so that's thing. Yeah. But, Brett, systemic racism was definitely not discussed and it was definitely denied because basically Coroner Derek Lee noted that it was unlikely that the officers' behaviours were motivated by malicious intent, but rather a product of confusion and misunderstood information. I mean, that is just such a load of nonsense. Yeah, look, that is nonsense. Absolutely it's nonsense. Actually. I mean, it was quite clear. I mean, you have a man saying, I can't breathe. And he says it 12 times, and you've got your knee in his back with somebody else leaning against you. Come on. Now, come on. That's totally against uh, just common sense and totally against our everybody's understanding. So it really, to a large extent, discredits the uh, the like the inquest process because that just is is ridiculous. And, and, of course, the other thing endemic to all this is the fact that he was first Aboriginal and you've got 30% of people inside jails, and both in Victoria and New South Wales, all right over, 30% are Aboriginal people, whereas they're only 2 or 3% in the general population. So you've got that inherent racism anyway um, about the way people are being treated inside prisons. So Aboriginal people are the ones who are being mostly affected. And then you've got this contempt right, where, where they can say, you've got 60 seconds to get your, get your hands out and we'll take away the thing you bought. Hang on. Everyone agreed. That there was no reason for him to be, um, to be assaulted, to be opened, for the door to be opened. And there's no reason. They were, they were his biscuits. And he was entitled to eat them. It was not a health issue. It was only that they were imposing their will upon him, and they, they insisted on doing so. And, that's, and the result of it was that he died. And to, and to say that was a sort of miscommunication was an outrage. That Please. was not what happened. It was quite yeah. clear what happened. It's, they, it's a total they, outrage. They imposed their will on him and killed him in the process. And in the Justice Action Report, on the, reporting on the, on the inquest, sorry, Outside the New South Wales State Coroner's Court, the the family 
of the Dungadi man were were shouting, "You say accident, we say murder." That's right. There was anger. There was anger there for sure. And the and the commissioner turned up and in his and his, uh, his uh, suit looking very mm, no, he wasn't looking comfortable at all. Actually, he was looking uncomfortable. But at least he turned up. That was a good thing. Yeah. But then, but then when he was trying to leave, everybody surrounded his car and said, "Hey, come on, we hold you responsible. You're the one who had your staff doing this, and and you didn't even care. Eighteen months later, you still didn't do anything to stop other people killing and being being killed in the same way. So there was a bit of a lot of anger. Were you outside there the, outside the coroner's court? A lot of anger in the court. Were you there outside the car yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely, no. The 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 media was there in, in in the strength, and I was happy to speak on behalf of a prisoners. Generally, I joined joined the family and so and the lawyers and some other supporters there, and I was so uh, very uh, proud to speak on behalf of prisoners. Generally, now, we we felt that there were some things that were hiding there. Um, the most most uh, uh, a positive uh, from our point of view um, is that uh, there is an entitlement now, according to recommendations. Of um, uh, of the coroner, that prisoners in the jails have an entitlement to have their own representation, the elected representatives, to help them in these positions of confrontation. That's very useful. It means in the future, um, uh, if if these things, same things occur, um, uh, as they will, as they're happening every day, um, that there's an obligation on the authorities, whether it's Victoria, whether it's New South Wales, whatever state it is, an obligation on the authorities to make sure that the inmate Development Committee, you make the Aboriginal delegates, whoever it is, um, is there as part of the negotiations. And that it may well be that the result isn't a lot better, but at least other people will know what's going on. It can't happen secretly. So the state coroner actually recommended this. That's really interesting. Uh, uh, sorry, I missed that last question. Who, who recommended it, the state coroner? Uh, the, the state coroner, the state re- coroner recommended this called Recommendation 6. And, wow. it, and it was said very clearly and very directly. And, um, and what it said, what it said, it said um, uh, the uh, uh, I recommend that all necessary steps, all necessary steps, be taken to make an Aboriginal welfare officer or Aboriginal inmate delegate available at the Long Bay Hospital to assist where required in interactions with Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander inmates in the mental health unit, and that corrective services New South Wales inform and train officers. Working in the mental health community utilises process where appropriate. Recommendation six and page ninety one. So we've looked at it very carefully. We've made the made the point very clearly. Right, that's what what occurs for Aboriginal prisoners applies right across the board. Doesn't make a difference. So it does um, indeed. It's Aboriginal prisons, whether it's whether it's um, uh, uh, European Anglo-Saxon prisons, whether it's every whoever they are, the same issue applies. And the and the tensions in prisons are they have a, a an excellent way in which peer support can reduce the tension, can can reduce the tension. So Look, we, uh, we would we we and we are following up that that recommendation, and we see that as actually crucial to lessen the tensions inside prisons. Indeed, yes, and in fact, the Doing Time show has interviewed Claire Seppings, who wrote uh, the Churchill report. She won an award, and she she wrote a report on this about peer uh, yes. support, and she did a Absolutely. lot of overseas work. Issue. 
very important, and uh, and uh, uh, you know that's one thing that will allow not only uh, uh, for uh, David Dungay and people in his situation to be safer, it will also provide a chance for for prisoners, other prisoners, um, to to learn some skills in de-escalation and and community building, uh, and learning how to negotiate and and and, and uh, being trained. And that training itself will be useful not only inside the prisons, but also for them to have jobs when they are released. And that's a very useful um, part of the whole operation. I think what would be really useful at this point, Brett, if you can, do, do you have the recommendations in front of you? Uh, yes, I do, yes. Yeah. Are you able to just, for, for listeners, we've talked about two recommendations in detail, but before we conclude our interview, are you able to just summarise for listeners what some of the other recommendations were? Look, I, yeah. I, I looked at this before we started, and in fact, we have an index to 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 the issues, which yeah. we, is always particularly important. But um, it doesn't. Uh, the index we have doesn't focus on on the uh, the general. I think it was ten, um, right. ten recommendations. We have we have an index to the findings, yes. which focus particularly on what we thought was. Um, uh, the most useful. So there, okay. there are things like, for example, more training for prison officers and, and those sort of things. We, we've found in the past that that, that is not useful at all no. because prison officers um, are not the focus. They're really not. Um, if, they, if they don't have, um, uh, aren't required to personally take responsibility for their behaviour, if they don't accept that, if they, if they are part of a six-person team holding someone down who says they can't breathe, if they don't understand that they are, will be personally held responsible for the death of that person, then that that is the issue. And more training won't hold fast. You have to make sure that um, that uh, uh, that they are sued, and they yeah. personally have to carry um, the uh, uh, responsibility of what they did. So they're the sort of things we focused on. The other recommendations we found um, were not media strong, but they're up on the website, and they're there too. People can look at them as well. But I'm sorry, but I don't have them right in front of me. That's okay. Look, I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory, really, because most of them, in a lot of inquests, uh, most of the recommendations concentrate on the training. And as as Latona said in our interview a couple of months ago, early on in the year, she said, well, training, training wouldn't have helped my son. Training of prison officers wouldn't have helped my son. Yes, you know, I, I agree. That's not what it's about. It's that's not what it's attitude. about. It's attitude, no, no. isn't it? Yes, it is. it is, and there has to be also other people in there. It's no good to have violence in isolation where people can later say, oh, and he fell over and um, he tripped in the shower and so hang on. We need to ensure that, that, that there are no secret spaces in prisons, uh, that you have got friends around you, you can be with people whom you trust and you have people um, who are watching your back all the time. You should um, have a feeling of being, of being safe and you should have a feeling of, of, of love around you, love and family around you. So that means things like easy access to the internet. So we should have computers and cells by now where people can, can report on what has happened around them, report back Transparency. to the report to the ombudsman. Yeah. They're all obvious things that are waiting to happen, and I don't have no doubt will happen within the next short months, very short, I think less than years, I think months away from ensuring that people have access to computers in their cells and can then interact with a whole range of people, including their families, and, and um, in the same way as they have done for the, in the ACT for the last 11 years. So that has to, has to happen. In Look, it, it does, and you, you've spoken a lot about that on the show. And, I mean, of yes. particular concern, Brett, and this is just a final question, did you, when you were at the inquest, was anyone 
implicated from the healthcare system or from or from you know any health personnel at all? Well, yes, there was. Like there was one particular um, particular uh, nurse who's called Nurse Ma, um, who everyone tried to heap responsibility uh, onto. They said that uh, that um, he you know he was the person who uh, didn't even check to see whether David was alive before he, he injected him the second time. They said that the decision to um, to inject him was not one which came from the health um, health authorities at all. It was actually a prison officer who called for him to be injected a second time. And so the, the reason that they held him, um, still holding him without him allowing him to breathe, was because they were waiting for the second, second injection. So, you know, there's a whole area of, of, uh, uh, of um, corrective services having control health standing back and not actually have a feeling that they uh, had a responsibility at all. So they had this um, uh, nurse scurrying in with his injection at the, at the request, at the demand of the corrective services. So that was so wrong. So the interesting thing is another mm. one of the recommendations is um, that justice health, right, the nurse, has control and can decide at one state, at a stage at which the decision um, should be to hold them or release them, uh, whether or not that should occur. It has to make the independent assessment but that um, and take control of corrective services. Now, now that has never happened before. That is a change in culture. So it would mean that the health department, health department, the, the nurse, right, has the responsibility to say, "I will. I think that shouldn't happen." And corrective services then has to has to release the person or or take them into a cell and let them go, whatever it's got to be. But the nurse is in charge, not corrective services. Absolutely. I mean, so we've got we've got corrective services uh, officers playing doctor. And uh, it's had disastrous consequences and there's been a death. Brett, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It's been great it's having been you. Delight- yeah. yeah, delightful to speak with you guys during the year and I've been so pleased to have the chance to speak to you and your listeners and inside the prisons in Victoria. Hey, guys. Hey, guys and girls. Hey. hey. <laughs> now, we're doing our best for you. We're doing our best and we're not going to slow it up. And we're very pleased to work with you guys from GCR. You're a wonderful job. And so we're so pleased to, to get access to your program. Brett, thank you very much. And let's watch this space um, about what's happening with David the Dungai. He was only 26 when he died. And it's, it really is quite horrible. And we've got to build the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work, Justice okay. Action. Okay. Okay. Okay, thanks, Melissa. Take care. Okay, thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action speaking about the findings of the inquest that were handed down about David Dungai, who is a Dundadi man. So although the coronial inquest has concluded, this is only the first step towards justice for David Dungai Jr. and other black deaths in custody, which Justice Action continues to support. As David's mother, Latona, said, I'm going to fight until I live in a country where black lives matter. It's approximately 4.54 and we've only got about three minutes left of our show. And the Doing Time show will be back on the 27th of January. Um, during this time slot, listen to um, Peter's music specials and, and I'm sure that he'll be doing a great job with that over summer. So, it, yeah, thank you to our guests. Thank you to Ali and we hope that we send a cheerio out to Ali in hospital who is recovering from a suicide attempt and we're hoping that he will be better very, very soon and we wish him the very best for his upcoming court cases that are coming up in February to try and and work out what's happening with him being set free. 
So free all political prisoners, free all asylum seekers and refugees, bring them here. And I want everybody to stay strong and, and take care and we'll be back um, in in January. And in fact, we're going to be doing a special um, Survival Day show coming up on um, on so-called Australia Day. So it's goodbye from Marissa. We've got Beyond Zero coming up next. And if people missed out or just um, missed out on half the show, um, please go on to the podcast and we'll, we'll be doing we'll be doing that podcast shortly. And, um, and and goodbye for now. Thanks a lot and take care.
Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day. 